Hi, welcome back to the Female Founder World Podcast. Jasmine here. And I've been trying to get today's guest on the show for a long time. Finally, we were able to schedule something in. I want you guys to welcome Andrea Hernandez. She's the creator of Snackshot. If you are in the food and bev space, I reckon you know her. If you probably subscribe to the Snackshot newsletter, maybe you're part of the community on Geneva that she convenes. But essentially, Snackshot is a space where food and beverage trends are predicted and people kind of brought together around snack culture. And that might sound like a bit a bit like random and ambiguous, but this isn't a traditional industry newsletter. Andrea is very witty. She's very clever, very tongue in cheek, and she predicts trends long before the kind of New York Times of the world get onto them. She predicted the hibiscus water trend years before it was hitting the mainstream. And I think a good two years before the New York Times wrote about it. She's also fast becoming the person or the place that big retailers are turning to when they're trying to discover new brands and really becoming like quite a heavyweight in the space. She's been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, Thrillist, Bon Appetit. We had her in the Female Founder World newsletter a couple of months ago, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear what she has to say. We're talking about blanding, the rise of Gen Z brand aesthetics, food and beverage trends, and where she thinks consumer brands are going wrong in their community building efforts. Let's get into the show. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. The Princess Polly online store was born in a true startup style in 2010 in Australia, and we launched our US-based operation in Los Angeles in 2019. And now we are one of the fastest growing online women's fashion brands in the US and Australia. Our first value is customer centricity, so every single department is paying attention to the customer experience. We aim to deliver every single time and being customer focused is really daring to be different. We first and foremost listen to our customers and always remember that customer perception is reality. Our demographic is Gen Z and this is the I expect a response now. I call them the now customer. Our CX teams engage across every single channel. It is very important that we meet our customers where they are and Gorgeous allows us the opportunity to be efficient with all of these channels located in one place. We show up to work each and every day with one goal in mind, and that is to provide the best customer experience for our customers all over the globe. I have a quote, and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization, and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. So AI and tech have played a large piece in a lot of the decisions that we've made at Princess Polly over the last year and going forward that we will make when it comes to utilizing systems to their fullest optimization. I will share that late last year, for example, we migrated ticketing platforms from from the very popular Zendesk to Gorgeous because it is the experience that we're focused on, the agent experience and the customer experience. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, you can go to gorgeous.com and start a free trial today. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. To kick things off, can you tell folks what was happening in the world? What made you think that there was space for something like Snackshot? Yeah, I think back in 2020 when we started, 
when I say we, it's me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, same. I use we all the time, but I'm like, me. <laughs> me, me and my child, which is not totally. I started it because I felt that there wasn't enough conversation in going around exploring whether these quote unquote trends or what was being put out in mainstream media had some legs to stand on like what Mm -hmm. was the like the actual like reality as opposed to something that's like PR hype or something that's just like a media cycle like we've seen it now with food delivery and 15 minute grocers and how like you know all this money went into it and all these like companies are being valued in billions of dollars and then it's like two years later it's like ah womp womp like no actually that Mm. was like highly inaccurate and so I wanted to kind of give that approach of like you know we should be having some sort of skepticism and critical thinking around what we are like what we're seeing and food and beverage is such a staple you know like in in our lives and so I kind of wanted to offer a space where we could talk about like what is really an adaptogen and not be like you know out of fear that someone's gonna like shame you like if you were at Erewhon market or something like it's more about like let's have a like like it's made space to have conversations about this let's also talk about how hard it is for emerging brands particularly diverse founders to start off and how can I use and build a platform that helps lend that visibility as opposed to how it usually is like you know pay to play in different publications people that can afford to have PR doing the work for them so how can I facilitate and and literally have created a platform that is kind of the antithesis of what I was seeing out there, which is I don't do PR pitches. I go about my own curation. And how does that look like at a time where we have such an influx of information constantly being bombarded to us? I have in a way become sort of like a filter. And I wanted to to use curation in the way that I've I've used it all my life to make experiences more enjoyable at a time where, you know, it's been so detrimental to our psyche to be just exposed to everything all at once. So that's mm. kind of like the idea that inspired Snackshot. There was literally nothing like it. And it, I just kind of wanted to do that. And one day you're talking to The Void and then a few months later, The Void's talking back to you. And yeah. I really never thought of it like starting a community, but it, it evolved into that organically. And, and it is what it is now, <laughs> almost two yeah. years later. I think what you say about being a filter for your industry in this space is so true. There is so much information out there. And if you have mostly, it's just like an instinct of what's interesting, what's not interesting, what determines a trend, what's just noise. Like if you can be that curation in a niche, I think that it is a really valuable service and an amazing way to build community. How do you find trends or how do you determine what a trend is versus what is just noise and what is that filter that you apply? Like it feels so intangible. Yeah. It's so funny because there's this ongoing gag from the first ever issue until now. No one can pick up on it, but it's literally the secret sauce. It's like, Mm -hmm. I say it there and it's a joke. It's basically like, I say, share this with your friends and let them know that trend forecasting is the new astrology. And why I use that is because if you really look at what astrology does, it just looks at patterns. Mm. And I think that when you have the ability to look at something in from a less myopic view, and I think this is where being an outsider helps, right? Where you're able to like see things and not be so immersed in your own bubble. Or, you know, if I'm allowed to say it, I like to call it a circle jerk. 
it's the same industry folks kind of just like regurgitating to each other as opposed mm-hmm. to like, huh, let me see if this is actually something that's like working here. Is it happening in the UK? Is it happening in Australia? Is it happening mm. in Canada? Is it happening yet in the US? And if like it's happening everywhere else except for one place, it's easy to say it's it's probably going to trickle its way down there. It's very much about learning to see patterns and being able to get yourself outside of the bubble and the circle. And if you have that yeah. curiosity, then it, it comes easier. Where do you like, where do you get your news? Where are you getting this information then filtering it down for people? Well, that's where the whole Synaxier uh, (laughs) term comes from. And, you know, a magician never really reveals its tricks. But again, (laughs) it's really not a trick. One of my favorite things, people think I'm like, you know, this hip person, like I have these teenagers and college students telling me that they love snapshot, whatever. And I'm like, bro, I'm like the nerdiest person. I will literally (laughs) dive into two scientific journal papers on my gut biome and stuff just because I really want to know, you Mm -hmm. know, what's happening in that space or whatever. To me, it's just like being very passionate about doing research and and being curious and, and sort of like allowing yourself to explore possibilities that if you have sort of like a very serious like why would I even look into this kind of perspective where it's like ah no like if you see things as like oh yeah whatever like that's just like that's whatever not gonna happen whatever like I want to be like more open-minded where it's like this sounds very ridiculous like wearables Mm. now dictating food and beverage trends let me see how that like looks like and then it's like oh shit actually this is really interesting to see how people change their dietary behaviors once they can see the data like through their wearable so how does that evolve and how does that look like 10 years from now and now we have you know products that are being science like basically trying to use science to back their function like this beverage that's called good idea that uses an ingredient that they created in a lab to curb like sugar spikes so that you don't crash you know say after a meal you don't get that like energy schlump and they can actually prove it through the glucose monitors like whoop and stuff so wow it's just it's it's super interesting but but again if you are open-minded enough to think that there is a possibility then I think you know that's where it comes from okay I got it you were saying before how you have this running gag and you're full of inside jokes and I think that you just come across as such an effortless community builder where I feel that other people's community and I'm using like inverted commas here like air quotes like community building efforts are so um obvious and corporate and feel really <laughs> transactional and not just necessarily bigger consumer brands but also more traditional media companies they're trying to shift in and it's just not working and I'm wondering what it is about what you've created that feels like a true community and like the the truest sense of the word and what other people are doing wrong. Why is it working for you? I think I think one of the biggest things that really like helped nail this organic aspect of the community was like not not asking you to be part of it. Like mm. it was like do you want to chat more snack? Here's where you can go and do it. But I always refrain my approach from it being like, oh, refer people or want to earn points, like come join this. Like it was just like, are you passionate about Mm -hmm. pantry items and, you know, a sultry snack? Are you the kind of person that shares their grocery haul with their friends? Like this is for you. If you want to indulge in that behavior that you already inherently have, here's where there's like-minded people similar to like a Reddit 
why Reddit subreddits and stuff like they're so popular and curated the information that's there is so valuable because it's legit people who are like, this is my jam. This is where I want to be. Like snapshot community, it's like you found something new you want to share with people. You tried something good that you want to share with people. You know, here are the channels to do so. You know, it's crazy to me whenever I see people join in from different parts, like from Amsterdam, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong. And it's like, how the hell is it making all its way to like places I have never been in my life, not even close. And when you talk about community, there's a shared, there's something that's shared, right? A lot of people don't, don't understand that you have to share that enough to want to be involved, not in a way that like, oh, like I'm building something, whatever, but like, that you feel that that you share in that com- communality, like that like ideal or whatever, that you in, that you want to organically give, you know, like here I also have this. I'm contributing in this way. I want to help plan this, like because this person feels like this is this is a place for them. Or you know, I don't like to say that it feels like home, but it, you know, it is a home for people who are obsessed with, you know, pantry items and open shelves and, mm-hmm. you know, drool at the, you know, at the site of a cool curated grocer. And I think that's something that a lot of brands don't understand. And I tell brands too, like, you don't have to have a community, not everything has to be a community. I think you have to really think of like, okay, if I were to build a community, what does that universe look like? Because you can't just build community based on, you know, a product where it's like, totally. I'm not going to have a community around thermoses, right? <laughs> like, it's totally. like, okay, we like, love to hydrate. <laughs> like, okay. Anyway, that makes sense. (laughs) No, that totally makes sense. When brands are building community, maybe they don't have a native community builder on the team. It's maybe it's a marketing manager or someone who's more of a traditional social media, Instagram person trying to explain to them that you are actually trying to remove the product from like, that's not what the community is about. And stop talking about the product so much and actually make it around like, okay, what are the values and what are the other things that bring the people together? That's what the community is about. Stop trying to relate all of the topics back to the thing that you sell because it feels really obvious. Yeah, it's so true. (laughs) That is so true. And I think it's very important because like you have to build out a whole universe. And I've I've told you about this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, the universe of Snackshot is when a discovery is like called the snack con. It's like, oh, that was a great, you know, snack con. Or when people go to like Erewhon and go to the beverage aisle, it's like, that's classic snack boy behavior. And I feel like there's so many different things that this transcends, like both the IRL version of it and the URL version of it, that it just, it, it really does feel like you're in this like sort of snack first literally where I can share I'm doing this IRL but I can share and and commune to get interactions from other people who are like-minded like like me like today we had someone from in our Geneva chat like from Dutch like uh, I think from Amsterdam like share this like German brand whatever and I was like wow he was like oh yeah I love a gripped like uh, a gripped can or something like the texture of the can Mm. and I was like wait, I had never seen that in a can before. And it's so cool to also be able to see how stuff is done differently. I feel like, you know what, it's like a pen pal kind of thing where it's like you were your pen pal and you would like send pictures. Before Twitter, that was the original Twitter, I think. And you would send them pictures and write about whatever you painted with or did with Play-Doh in the class. And I think it's that inherent behavior of wanting to belong to something, right? That tribalism is our most inherent thing. So I think when, yeah. when we're talking about for businesses to do community, 
the reality is like we're not going to want to commune around whatever you know skirt you're offering or what like it has to have something more that touches upon different things that are inherent human behavior (laughs) yeah someone who does this really well is august their period care company yes they mentioned the they talk about the product on like tiktok and that kind of thing but they have a big group on geneva which for folks who don't use it it's basically like a group chat platform it's like gen z slack i think is like the the line i think if you're looking for people who do community building as good as snackshot is doing it in the consumer space i think that's a really good example for folks who are listening I refrain from comparing anything to Slack just because I don't build community where I I work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, this is so true. 100%. (laughs) I want to talk about blanding for a second. And this is something that we've spoken to you about for the newsletter as well. And how for this period of time, not just in food and beverage, but also in beauty and wellness as well, more broadly, all of the brands started looking the same and it's shifting again now, but there was a good five years where every brand looked like it had the same glossier, like pastel palette, the same fonts. What was happening? Why was that happening? And why is it shifting now? Yeah. So I've talked about this a couple of times in different interviews, but I think we have to trace it back to how, so it's always existed, right? But in, in, in lesser, I think extremes, because for example, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, if you go back into their advertising, it they used to look very much alike, right? This is mm. one of the reasons why fashion brands invest so much in their IP. For example, the Louboutin, like Red Soul, it's like extremely patented. Like it's something that people like cannot like rip off because you're going to get a cease and desist or some big legal fee. So what's happening now is one with, especially in the food and beverage industry, I think because the barrier of entry is so low. And -hmm. for those who don't know in business, there's that term, the barrier of entry, as in like how easy it is for someone in your competition to do the same thing that you're doing. So ideally, you want to operate in something that has like high barriers of entry to kind of give you that head start. But for the most part, I think food and beverage pretty much unless you have something that's tech based or, or something that's like unique, very unique, uh, pretty much the barriers of entry are low. So like stemming from also like the, the boom of the tech companies like Facebook, Google, and all these different tech companies, Airbnb, Uber, etc., that had this very, very bland look bland as in like it kind of what they were trying to say basically was like, we're going digitally where, you know, even that lens company, what's it called? Uh, Warby Parker, like all of these companies had the same sort of techish Silicon Valley unicorn company type of look because it was kind of like saying like, oh, you know, we're we're modern, we're digital, we're removing the middleman. And it was kind of like bare bones is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So these that aesthetic became very popular because why? Of course, now you have Facebook being multi-billion dollar company, Airbnb, Uber, all these like Silicon Valley unicorns that came up had the same aesthetic. So why does the blending happen? I like to say it follow the money. Basically, it's like a way of borrowing from an established brand's brand equity so brand equity is how valuable your your brand identification is. This is why a lot of fashion brands spend so much money protecting it, right? You don't want anything that's diluting your brand equity. So when this permeated from tech into consumer goods, like I said, Warby Parker, you also even had Sweet Green, 
and then it permeated into beauty, etc. Now it's like food and beverage, like snacks. It became the the pastel Reese's kind of thing. They were the first mm-hmm. ones to kind of have that look and be very successful, obviously. And then that got copied over and over to a point that there's this Canadian company that legit you can't tell it apart. Like you go to their socials and it's like whose social media is who. Because that's how much of a a replica it is. House is another example. House was the first one to be very successful in that like cozy, like very 70s kind of chubby font uh, Mm -hmm. that you see everybody, you know, even from Chobani and Burger King when they did their rebrand, which is so funny because Burger King, all they did was go back to how they look like in the 70s. Hilarious. hilarious. Um, And for the past decade, it has been a lot very minimal polished pastels sort of kind of like very pristine to fit the the gram uh, but mm-hmm. as you know tiktok has become you know even much more popular than instagram particularly with the gen z generations as gen z growing up with all these instagram ads plaguing them for the past decade literally yeah. I, I can just imagine being a gen z person like literally growing up as a teen and into their early 20s and all they've known about millennials is that they have these like brands that like plague them everywhere with their <laughs> ads. I saw this TikTok that was like this Gen Z person discovering blending. It was hilarious. They were like, why does it all look the same? It was so funny. They were putting together all these brands. And when you put them all together, it's hilarious. But I think this is where where hopefully the the counter to blending is is what we're starting to see in this new decade. Yeah. <laughs> I'm rooting Who do for you it. Think- who do you think's doing this really well? And I've seen you point out Ruby, the hibiscus water brand, which has this really cool, very chaotic, very intricate brand universe, which I think also like builds a moat around the brand as well, right? Like you can't easily replicate that if you're coming into the space. Like they have so much more ownership over the category and over their brand identity because it's so difficult to rip all of that off. But who else is doing it really well? I think... I had mentioned Rodden, for example. I think Rodden, which is this like up and coming gummy warm brand, it's mm. I love what they've done. Liquid Death, please, like Liquid Death is like, like your. It should be like a business case study on how to create totally. a genuine, like different, chaotic brand that literally they have achieved like the highest tier that any brand ever aspires to do, which is people are literally tattooing their logos onto their skin. People are literally branding themselves with Liquid Death's logo. So the fact that they were able to do that, like, and in a way that's fun, that doesn't feel like they're selling canned water. Mm. It's not that they're selling, you know, a fucking Ferrari. And people are so obsessed with them that they have, like, they have that amount of of willingness of people to participate. And I think that's absolutely genius. And I think... That's what hopefully we're going to start seeing a lot more of brands going back to how it used to be, where it's like invest in building the story behind your brand, as opposed to just riding on the coattails of Mm -hmm. some other brands look, some other brands like vibe or whatever. I think, I think people are going to start to see, especially now, right? We're going to a, through a recession, inflation, people are going back to like, either their basics, which is one of the reasons why private label is actually doing better than brands in grocery stores, or they're going to go like spend or do something with some brand that actually like, you know, resonates or they have some attachment to, because the reality is 
that all these brands that look alike, the market's going to consolidate. There's not enough space for a hundred brands looking the same. You're so right. (laughs) I think it's really cool how brands like Ruby, they have these full backstories and they're these worlds and they have characters like Emily, Elise Miller Miller at Off Limits, the serial brand does it really well, where she's got like specific characters for representing different products. And I just think it's so, so creative and so cool. And it's just so much more interesting than just any old pastel Sarah. Yeah, (laughs) no, I love Emily. Her brand is genius. I cannot, if somebody from Netflix is listening or some other production show Give this woman a show for her characters. I totally. feel like her her characters is such a genius, like so very much modern way of you know present like char- characters that actually have like seasonal depression. Like, give me more of that story as opposed to like whatever yeah. BS they're putting out there. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. I have one more question for you, and that's if there are any food and bed yeah. trends you think we need to watch out for. What have you been researching or writing about recently? So the latest issue that I put out there is actually exploring the intersection of snack and spirituality. So Ooh. yeah, d- diving deep into like now beyond wellness that you have functional drinks, literally promising you spiritual upliftness. And what does that mean at a time when millennials and Gen Z are leading the movement of untethering ourselves to organizational, like organized religion? It's been very interesting because obviously the roots of a lot of religions, whether Abrahamic or other ones, food has always been part of religious rituals, whether it's canachus, whether it's mushrooms, whether it's kava, whether it's coca leaves, like it has always had a, a purpose in the same way that bread and wine have in so many different religions and I think for some it represents more of like an alchemical process for some it just like stands to aid into celebration or ceremoniality even like Dia los Muertos for example Day of the Dead there's food involved in some sort of offering and reference and reverence and so I think it's very interesting to see how there's Palo Santo brewed water or like how a Mm. chocolate says that's like oh we built this uh, using this uh, frequency of hertz to create healing vibes. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you're a fucking chocolate, dude. I'm not eating <laughs> you for the healing vibes. Or like this Palo Santo water that's like offering you protection. And it's like, okay, protection from what? Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like there's a really, there's a line there around when you're mixing spirituality and, and consumer products and just when it becomes appropriative and when it's like, who should be doing this and how they should be doing that. So I would actually really advise caution for folks who are getting into that space. Are there any brands that you think are really interesting that people should go look up if they they want to explore this more? Yeah, there's one called Days. That's the one that I mentioned. That's D-A-Y-S-E. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a psychoactive, psychedelic adjacent ones like Psychedelic yeah. Water. Literally, that's the name. Like if you go to my issue, you'll find like a di- different references too. But I would say it's just like a very interesting question to to pose you know the fact that we're detaching ourselves from these like indoctrinations that are millennia old and that we're mm-hmm. finding it in the aisles of Erewhon now it's like okay. that's so interesting <laughs> I'm gonna link to that newsletter and to your Instagram and the yeah. Geneva group so if anyone wants to like connect with you and what you're doing you can just go into the show notes and you'll find the link there but Andrea thank you so much for coming on the show I could talk to you all day I know. <laughs> Next time we have to go on longer. Thank you so much. Yeah. For Thank you me. so much.